Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. It's Judy. It's Sana. And hey, guys, we've got a special episode today because we're being joined by Lorraine Tank. Yay! Yay! I always yay for myself. Yeah, let's yay together. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Hashtag my life. Uh, I'm very excited to be here, ladies. Thank you for having me because I'm going to be talking about more Marvel history. Well, I'm excited. The nerd in me is very excited because you're talking about the 60s, particularly in the context of Marvel's 80th anniversary. Yeah, we're celebrating 80 years this year since 1939 and Marvel Comics number one. And every month we hit a specific decade and now we're going to talk about the fabulous 60s. Yeah, it's the summer of love. That was 1969, but I'm going to talk about the years before that also. (laughs) Love in comics, that's what you're going to talk about. Because I love comics. I am going to be talking, as I said, about the 1960s. This month, we are celebrating the 60s of Marvel, and that's a really exciting time in comics because it is sort of the renaissance of Marvel in a lot of ways. So many characters were created during this time. We we really were moving out of sort of the straight-up genre comics of the 1950s with romance and westerns and war comics. Those kinds of things were being pushed aside, and we were really getting more and more into this movement of superhero comics. And, you know, women also were awakening in the sort of social consciousness. During the 1960s, Stan Lee was sort of in his heyday, as was Jack Kirby, as well as many other incredible creators. And with that, introduced a ton of new teams. We saw the X-Men, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the first family of Marvel. The Inhumans were also introduced through the Fantastic Four. There were the Guardians of the Galaxy and a whole bunch more teams. That's a ton of teams to think about taking place in just the course of a decade. Especially when you consider the fact that they continue to have comics and titles. They were not fly-by-night. They were characters and teams that were going to essentially lay the path for what Marvel was. Also, some of Marvel's most important female characters were created during this time. It was still kind of a time where every team got a girl. Everyone got, like, one lady to be on the team and represent... There was the Wasp in the Avengers. There was Jean Grey in the X-Men. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants got Scarlet Witch. There was Susan Storm in the Fantastic Four. Sif was in the Warriors 3 with Thor. And then, of course, Carol Danvers was also born out of this time. I'm not going to go too much into her creation because Carol Danvers really started to bloom in the 70s. And I want to come back to her next month. But for right now, today, I am going to talk about three of the most important women in the Marvel Universe introduced during the 1960s, including the first lady of Marvel Comics, Susan Storm, the first female chairman of the Avengers, and the first female founding member of the Avengers, the Wasp, a.k.a. Janet Van Dyne, as well as the most powerful mutant, at least in my eyes, Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl. So first up, we have Susan Storm. As I said, she is the first lady of Marvel. She was introduced in Fantastic Four number one in 1961, written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby. First up, Susan Storm. She is the first lady of the first family of Marvel. Susan Storm was introduced in Fantastic Four number one way back in 1961 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. You know, when you first read that issue, you'll see sort of a cloud above New York City and Inside of it is written Fantastic Four. There's hubbub all over the city. And then we see Susan Storm. She's hanging out with one of her lady friends, drinking tea in a pink Chanel suit. And everything seems sort of normal. Her friend is worried, oh, no, there's words in the skies. What does it mean? And then she turns invisible. 
that is our big look into what this comic is going to have to offer. We first see the Fantastic Four team up and fight aliens to save New York City, but then we see their origin story unfold after that. And in that story, it's Sue Storm who actually pushes this whole team to go to space and get their superpowers. Of course, she didn't think they would get superpowers. They just wanted to win the space race against the quote-unquote commies. And the moment that I love that I think is the crux of sort of Susan Storm being such a powerful woman. And in a way, she sort of has this like socialite background that allows her to have alacrity in these sort of situations that involve people where she essentially is talking to the men that she's about to go up in the spaceship or she's trying to convince. And she says to Ben Grimm, Ben, we've got to take that chance unless we want the commies to beat us to it. I I never thought that you would be a coward. And he's, of course, Ben Grimm. So he's like, a coward. Nobody calls me a coward. Get the ship. I'll fly her no matter what happens. And Susan just instinctively sort of knows how to get Ben's goat. And that's the reason they go to space. Right then, right there. The reason we have the Fantastic Four is because Sue Storm knew how to push the buttons of Ben Grimm. What I think is most interesting about Susan Storm, because she is one of the most longest-lived characters in the Marvel Universe in a lot of ways, she actually has had a huge evolution. But something that I think is so cool about her in particular is that she's one of the few characters who has not become so overpowered that she just fell apart. I think that happens over time. Sometimes we want to tell interesting stories. And because they're sometimes female characters, I feel that they push them to their brink. And then they're like, oh, no, I can't take it. But that's not something that we see happen with Sue very often. She tends to be very consistent, to have strong integrity, to push and drive her team, to offer strength. So that's one thing I love about Sue. She has been truly a consistent, important, bright spot in the Marvel Universe. Next up, I'm talking about a little character called the Wasp. She is a really super important Avenger. I think one of the most important in comics. She was introduced in 1963 in Tales to Astonish number 44, written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby, and script by H.E. Huntley, as well as inking by Don Heck, lettering by Art Simic. So she was introduced, as I said, in Tales to Astonish. That's one of those books where people hear it and they're like, Tales to Astonish, that's not an Avengers comic. Well, no, it's not. It's still coming out of those like 1950 titles of like, oh, weird tales, sci-fi, big monsters, that kind of stuff is still going around. And that's, you know, honestly, where a lot of our Marvel characters were born in the 1960s. Journey into Mystery introduced Thor. Tales of Suspense introduced Iron Man. And Tales to Astonish introduced Janet Van Dyne. So this is something I just love this issue. Honestly, go back and read it. It's a really fun read. She essentially is the daughter of a scientist working with Hank Pym, a.k.a. Ant-Man. Her dad dies while he's sciencing. He gets murdered by an alien. And so she goes to seek out Hank. And she kind of introduces the Avengers. She's like, I want to avenge my father. And later on, when they start the Avengers team, she names them the Avengers. So that's something that's pulled all the way from her very first introduction all the way into the Marvel Universe. Hank sees something in her immediately and says, I want you to be my partner. I am Ant-Man. I will build you antennas and wings and you will become the Wasp and we will be superhero teammates and we're going to defeat this alien who, spoiler alert, of course comes to Earth, of course wants to kill everybody. 
And spoiler alert again, they kick his butt. And then she becomes the first female chairwoman of the Avengers, which I think is really, really cool. I think a lot of people think of Captain America as being like, he's the leader of the Avengers. Nope, Janet Van Dyne. In my mind, at least, Janet Van Dyne is that heart of the Avengers. She's someone that everyone respects and understands, and she has that mind for pulling people together and coordinating. And she bolsters the other ladies of the Avengers. It's another thing that I love seeing. When when more female Avengers do come along, she's somebody there who's got their back. And now I'm going to talk about somebody that everybody loves, me probably more than any of you, Jean Grey. I love Jean Grey. You guys probably know her best as the Phoenix. At this time, though, she was Marvel Girl, and she was introduced in the X-Men number one of 1963. She was the new gal. I, I think this is also really fun. Just like Sue Storm was introduced in Fantastic Four number one as sort of the first little piece of the Fantastic Four, we actually see the X-Men all together. We see it's Hank McCoy, who is the Beast. There's Bobby Drake, who is Iceman. There is Slim Summers. That's another one that's great. Slim Summers, who's actually Scott Summers, but they call him Slim for some reason. And then there is Warren Worthington, the third, who is the angel. All these boys have already teamed up. They're up in Westchester with Professor X living at the X mansion. But this new girl arrives, Miss Jean Grey. And then immediately the guys are like, a girl, and can't take it because they're a bunch of dumb teenage boys. And they're all trying to impress her to get her attention. And finally, the Beast, a.k.a. Hank McCoy, actually like makes a play for her and tries to touch her face. And what does she do? She levitates him up into the air and spins him in a circle and spits him out on the couch. And suddenly all of the guys are like, oh... Oh, she's the powerful one. Got it. And that's really where we are introduced to the X-Men. You know, from the very beginning, Jean Grey is so powerful. And that is followed through her character storyline throughout all of the Uncanny X-Men tales. You know, she is a psychic. She has powers of telekinesis. She can read minds. She can move things. She can clearly pick up their biggest, strongest, brawleriest guy and throw him like he's nothing without lifting a finger. And this introduction of Jean Grey, how we do see the X-Men through her eyes, I really think that informs the way that I read X-Men comics as a kid. You know, I look at everything through Jean Grey's perspective in a lot of ways because she is the person who is the most sort of empathetic and open and honest, I think, on that team in a lot of ways, whereas there's a lot of bravado on the X-Men. The guys are all trying to one-up each other, and she's sort of like, we have to do this to save mankind. I think she's the most in line with Professor Charles Xavier, not just because I think they're both psychic, but because they both have a similar sense of empathy and openness and altruism. I particularly think her comics in the 1960s are some of my favorites. They're sort of the sweetest reads because this is really when her character has set up as one of the most powerful but still kind and generous and empathetic beings in the Marvel Universe. It's exciting to see where she goes in the future to see her battle with great power, but these moments are so delicious to read because you get to see how she earned to go to those crazy places, to go to those wild places off into the universe. 
And that's really true for all of these ladies. Getting to see where they've started makes it much more fulfilling to see where they go to. And those were my three ladies from the 1960s that I wanted to talk about today. Definitely listen to me next month when I talk about the ladies of the 1970s because the 70s were lit for women. Just saying. I meant literature. Also, little fire emoji. But the thing I do love about these 1960s is it is where women are awakening as really actionable characters. You can see as we move away from romance comics, which had their charms and their delightful things, but you can see as we move away from those, as women become generators of ideas, of power, of empathy, of integrity, of heart, and they become fleshed out in a way that we haven't seen female characters be before. If you guys want to check out these comics, again, that was X-Men number one, Fantastic Four number one, and Tales to Astonish number 44. You can find all three of those comic books on Marvel Unlimited if you are subscribed, or you can check it out at marvel.com slash unlimited. And of course, if you like hearing about female superheroes, you can read my book, Marvel Powers of a Girl, which is in stores now. Oh, and that reminds me, you guys should definitely check out Marvel's Cloak and Dagger on Freeform season two. In season one, we met Tandy and Ty as they discovered their new superpowers. Tyrone has a cloak that he can use to control a realm of darkness and teleport. And Tandy, aka Dagger, can shoot light daggers out of her hands and see people's hopes. In this new season, there are bigger issues on the horizon. They'll need to embrace their powers and figure it out fast because whether they like it or not, mayhem is coming. Don't miss the season two premiere of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger April 4th only on Freeform. And be sure to listen to the Marvel After Show. A new episode of the Marvel After Show, all about Marvel's Cloak and Dagger Season 2, drops right after a new episode of Marvel's Cloak and Dagger each night. So go subscribe now. There's already a recap episode wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Marvel, your universe.